So this is my first Sunday back here in a couple weeks, which is weird. It's strange because <clears throat> my wife and I rarely <laughs> miss. We love this family. Uh, you know, we have, um, we have uh, activities. We have responsibilities here at the church. And so it's rare that we miss a Sunday. But for the last two Sundays, we've been gone on a pilgrimage. And so it's great to see you familiar faces again um, after those last couple weeks. And the reason why we were gone the last couple weeks was we were making that pilgrimage out east to Dallas, Texas uh, with a group that we were ministers in. And some, many of you probably already know, but we're part of a motorcycle ministry, Black Sheep, Harley-Davidson's for Christ. Multiple people have heard before that we're part of this ministry. We minister to the motorcycling community. And every, it used to be every year, now every two years. We uh, gather and we get an, uh, like an international rally going where all of the ministers who have joined that organization come from all over the globe. We had people from uh, Chiapas, Mexico joining us this time. We had people from uh, Australia joining us. It was great to be able to have all the ministers uh, gather together, fellowship, equip one another, and then send them back out to go back into the mission field. Um, but this one was special. This trip was a little bit different than any other one that we do when we've gathered before, because in this one, we were actually gathering to um, honor the legacy of the founder and president of the organization, Marty Edwards. He, has, uh, he had decided, uh, decided to retire after 23 years in this ministry, and so it was super cool because while we're honoring him and also a lot of the executive uh, team that uh, started this whole thing, and a new season was starting with new leadership, it was great to be able to honor him and also usher in the new season together. So we were excited, and many people showed up from, again, all over the globe to be a part of that. It was to be a joyous time, you know, remembering that legacy. And for weeks, the, my circle here that I get to uh, disciple in and get to work with and get to um, pray over my brothers and sisters that uh, I'm in with Life Group or if it's in our discipleship group, I've asked for prayer, and many of you guys know it. I've asked for prayer for this thing. I've asked for prayer before we went because, of course, any time, if history is any indicator uh, of what's to come with a special Kairos moment like that where you have this change in leadership and you have this honoring going on of the good work that was done through the ministry for one season and into another season, if there's any indication from history with something like that where people gather in the name of Jesus we knew that there was gonna be some obstacles that we would have to face to see it through. Isn't that normal, right? I mean, like, we all feel that, right? When you know something's coming that you can recognize as something good, oftentimes we're met with trial, obstacle, or something that is bound to try to keep us from that. And as expected, those obstacles definitely came right from the jump. So... Again, we're, drive, we're riding our motorcycles out to Dallas, Texas. It's typically, you can do it in, you can do it in one day, but it's not, it's not a smart move. But, you know, you typically do it in three days. You know, it's a three-day three day trek. It's about 1,500 miles. You're going to do it. It makes, it makes it easy, makes it comfortable. Um, and so we have chapters of this organization all over the globe again. Our local chapter here is Temecula, and there's a couple of us that are part of this uh, this, this chapter that are right here in this uh, church that minister for that organization. And some of them 
decided, hey, we're going to ride out together. And what was cool about it was other chapters in the uh, region uh, decided to join us. So we had the Inland Empire chapter, we had the San Diego chapter, we had the Ventura chapter. We all came together, and a, and a lot of those people rode out together. Okay. Um, what's interesting is, as they decided to start that three-day trek out, they knew that a fantastic journey was ahead of them, that there were some good things at the tail end of that, you know, when they arrive in Dallas and they're going to enjoy each other's fellowship and whatnot. But they also knew that the journey itself was going to be something special. But then they started to run into challenges. For one, the weather, triple digits, started popping up to, you know, the hundreds. Now, standing out in 100-degree weather is tough enough, right? Some of you guys have done that. You walk outside here in the Inland Empire, it's like, man, it's 100 degrees out. That's hot. I'm either going to the swimming pool or I'm going to do something else. But imagine how crazy bikers are when they decide to get on a bike and ride out in 100-degree weather strapped in leather all over them and a helmet to keep in the heat, too. Riding on a very hot bike filled with gasoline that the engine just keeps raising heat, dissipating heat, right up into their nether regions. <laughs> We're insane. We're insane as a people, a biker group. It's crazy, but that's what we do. So that's what was happening. You're not gonna just say, okay, well, can't do it because it's 100 degrees. You gotta go through it, so they went through it. But man, I'll tell you, though, that heat was hurting them. That heat was hurting them because not everybody has the same riding experience or, um, uh, temperament or, uh, you know, just con the way they deal with conditions. Everybody struggles in different ways. Some were really stressed out about the heat. Some were stressed out about the traffic. Sometimes you face traffic. Sometimes you There were so many things that they were dealing with that they didn't understand how to get past it, but there was all these challenges. Heat, temperature, that was just one of them. Not to mention then, one of the uh, bikes in the group started to have mechanical failure. And that's not good in a biking group because typically you don't leave that person behind. We stop with them. We work with them. We try to figure out what the issue is. And it takes time. So there you are now, off your bike, standing in the heat, watching other people <laughs> fix bikes like a normal federal government uh, employee, you know? That's what we do. We just sit here, watch other people, supervise them as they do their work. Seven supervisors around one person and working, you know? So that's what we do. But that's what was going on. And it kept happening with this bike. And people are getting frustrated because the, no momentum was occurring, right? You want to keep going. And all of a sudden, up oh, the bike's stopping again. We got to pull over. Oh, man, we got to fix. Oh, no, it, it stopped again. Oh, man. People are starting to get frustrated. Some people were struggling with the heat so much that they were starting to deal with exhaustion. They were starting to deal with dehydration. I don't know about you guys. When I deal with heat dehydration, I know Wayne knows this, I get really cranky. You know, get this headache that goes right here. And I always try to blame it on the helmet itself, but it's actually just I'm not hydrated enough. But the problem is if I hydrate too much, then I got to go to the bathroom. Then I got to pull over on the side of the road, and then you guys are, like, not happy with me. So it can be insufferable, though. These, these journeys are fun, but at the same time, you're dealing with a lot of different things. So another couple, because of the issues with the mechanical um, the passenger decided, well, you know, I can't ride on the bike because of the mechanical issue. It was a suspension, and they had an air suspension. So with the air suspension not working, the bike just runs rigid, and whoever's the passenger is not going to feel too good on the back of the bike. So they ended up renting a car one way. If you've ever rented a car one way, 
across multiple states, it's a pretty penny. It cost them over $1,000 that they weren't anticipating to be a part of this journey. So that's not great. You don't like a thousand bucks just dropping out of your pocket just so you can, you know, do what you weren't anticipating so you can get to the destination that you were trying to get to. Then we started getting weird things happening. Like the leadership of our chapter received a text message from one of the members who didn't go on the trip but was way back home. And it, it seemed very, hmm, I don't know how to explain this. It, it didn't seem um, coherent, the text message. It was like stream of consciousness of anger, frustration, mania even. And the person was explaining that they were pleading with us that were in the group that they texted. And it was a, a variety of people in the group, not even just leadership, saying, I'm having trouble with somebody back home, a part of the same group, and I need you guys to intervene. If you don't do it right now, I'm going to do it on my own, and you won't like it. <laughs> and they're basically saying they're going to do what amounts to probably unchristian things to try to handle it in their own strength. So here we are a thousand miles away and we got a dispute in our organization back home and they're asking us to intervene a thousand miles away. That's hard. You guys probably explain, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of parents out there, when your children are away and something happens and you can't be there, you feel it. You feel like, oh man, because you know that things can happen really, really bad which can not just hurt the two of them, but also hurt the witness, can hurt the organization, and you want to be able to address that, but at the same time, you're like, man, why are they acting like this? You know, man up, or whatever you want to say, right? But the thing is, it was there. There's a lot of attacks going on. And like I said, there, some, of those some of those were struggling. I mean, there was a heat exhaustion on one gentleman I heard that when you talked to the person, he was not there. Like, he was so hot, and he probably should have rested, but it was just zoning out, right? Those were a lot of physical attacks happening. I had one personally. I got stabbed. No joke. I got stabbed on a mission with my brothers by one of my brothers. I got stabbed. I know it sounds, it sounds silly. It's like, what are you talking about? I may or may not have been discussing the merits of German streusel to my German friend and mentioned that it wasn't all that great, and he may have jokingly pulled out and wielded and brandished his knife to play with me, and unfortunately, he stuck me right here in the thigh. And I said, hey, man, you stuck me. And at first, it's like, okay, yeah, what? But then I'm all, ah, I think you really stuck me. And I start to feel my, like, jeans, canvas jeans start to feel wet. And I'm like, huh. And I put up my hand, and there's blood just flowing, right? Blood is flowing. We're in a small pie shop, and it looks like a crime scene. <laughs> I tell my wife, I go, she looks at me, and she sees me holding my thigh like this, and she says, she says, um, what, do you got a cramp? Because I had a cramp earlier on the ride. And I said, no, he stabbed me. And she said, yeah, he stabbed you. And I go, no, look. And then I start bleeding out again. And she's like, I can't take you guys anywhere. I'm like, what a, I got stabbed. I got stabbed. He didn't get stabbed. You can't take us. I'm like, how am I, how is the victim getting blamed here? Not to mention he, probably trying to justify his guilt, said, I think the blood's just coming from your high blood pressure, man. It's a, you stabbed me. That's why I'm bleeding, because you stabbed me. And, and what's frustrating with the stab, I know I'm sharing this and it's kind of in jest, but the interesting thing is, is 
Like, so I'm a part of this organization. I'm on their leadership board. You know, we're opening up. I'm a part of the planning committee for this whole event. We're having our first event. I want to be there. I want to be there to be able to be like, hey, you know, things are going. This is happening a couple hours before that. that's going to happen, before we're going to have that opening thing. And I've got probably a situation where I probably need a couple stitches, maybe two, three stitches to get that taken care of. I'm not going to do that, you know. But we have this scene where my friend who's stabbed me is probably in his guilt, holding my thigh with pressure, you know, trying to figure it out. And, and I'm like, dude, we'll be fine. But, I mean, if you don't believe me, I'm going to put up a picture right now. I know this is not safe for church, but I want to share this with you. I mean, like, I'm hurting. There's, a re- there's, there's blood. There's blood on those boxers right there. You can see the blood. You see it? That's just the boxers. Yeah, some of you guys know Brandon. He used to go to church. He's now in North Carolina. Thank God that guy knew how to do a butterfly, uh, you know, bandage stitch because, you know, he's, and he, like, right now the reason why I'm in pain is because he's spraying hydrogen peroxide in that thing. But I'm st- I got stabbed. Kind of makes me feel like, man, I'm a biker who got stabbed. Yeah. But I got stabbed by my friend. So. But anyway, the thing was, if I had to go to the doctor, get the stitches or whatever, I might have missed the thing. And, and, and I get it, but at the same time, you know, those things kind of go through your head. Anyway, all these things are happening, right? All these things are going on. It's kind of crazy. You're like, what is going on right now that all these things are happening? And then we had one person specifically. I'm going to refer to him as Fast Eddie. Fast Eddie, this is his first trip with us. He's part of the Black Sheep, but it's his first trip with us. And, and he's going long distance, and him and his wife are there. He was originally going to go with another couple. That couple, they were part of the text message issue. So now he's not even going with his own group. They decided at the last minute they're going to come out with us in our, in our, our local chapters group. And uh, he's not having a good time. He's feeling the, the, the stress and the frustration. He's seeing all these challenges. He, he recognizes that it's a big group and not a lot of people are having the same challenges as him because we had a Ventura group. We had, a, uh, a, like I said, a San Diego group. We actually had a few people from Idaho actually join us down the group. He saw that there was people in this group that, but, but for him, he was like, man, I am not having a good time and I'm ready. I'm seriously ready to just turn around and get out of here because this is not what I signed up for. And he was very stressed out. And he questioned why he decided to come in the first place. Things weren't getting off to a great start. The obstacles were mounting, as was the pressure, you know. We weren't in good headspace at that moment to continue on that journey. And for some of us, they already were planning the exit strategy to get out of it. If not, they already were close to initiating it. And as It's interesting because as frustrating as that is, I guarantee you that many of those motorcyclists that were out on that journey, that they put a lot of planning into going on a big trip like this. It takes time. You gotta you gotta plan your lodging, you gotta plan your routes, you gotta you gotta pay for all those things. And most importantly, and I think this happens a lot, deep down in places that motorcyclists, bikers don't like to talk about, and maybe even some car enthusiasts, you love to soup up that vehicle before you get out there. Right? Oh yeah. You wanna you want to turn that car or that motorcycle and you want to, you want to do some new modifications to it. You want to do the things. Because you, what you want to do is you want to bring it to this event and show it off. And so, of course, when you're having all these challenges, that doesn't make it feel any better because you invested all this time and effort in prepper, preparing the vehicle, the motorcycle, to be ready for this event and you can't even get there. So now you're stressed out. You're frustrated. I did the same. 
I won't lie. And as a matter of fact, it was great because I've had, we, we have a Harley, and in November, I got in an accident. I think I shared this with some of you guys. Got in an accident, and the motorcycle uh, was in the shop. Nothing crazy, but it was in the shop. Um, but it, uh, with the whole supply chain and logistics stuff, it was just hard to get anything. So, I mean, we weren't going to have the bike ready for our first ride of the year, and that's a very traditional ride. And we were like, I was like, man, I, I don't want to be not a part of the first ride of the year. My bike's in the shop. Oh, man. And, I go, and my wife's like, well, maybe we should get another one. What? <laughs> maybe we should get another one. And I was like, from your mouth to God. We bought another one. Well, what's cool about that for anyone that has ever bought a car or wants to restore something or buys a new vehicle, you know that one of the things you love doing is keeping it stock and just bare boning it out there. No. What you like to do is you like to modify it and customize it and make it your own. And that's great because I had done that with the bike before and now I have a fresh canvas <laughs> to do it again. We, my wife and I, fresh canvas <laughs> to do it again, right? So I'm thinking, this is, and this is back in January or December, so I'm thinking, man, I've got five months to make this baby purr. I'm gonna make it. So we did all these modification stock things. I did things that obviously would you know, uh, be comfort for the wife, got the air suspension so she feels like she's on cloud line, stuff like that. Also put a big 21-inch wheel on the front, make it, you know, really look, it looks murdered out, all black, it's great. Put some nice, gnarly uh, pipes on it so it's real loud, just like how most bikers like it. Doing all these things for it, and we're excited. And the thing is, you want to kind of test and validate that out before you get out to the big uh, gathering, the rally. So I had my chance. And I was pulling up right here in Menifee. It was right on Newport Road. And I pull up to the front of a stoplight. And the bike's all souped up. It's probably a couple months back. And the bike's all souped up. And then the car pulls up right next to me, right? And I could see the passengers in that car turn their face over to my bike. And they did that thing where they, like, scan and they look it up and down. And they're seeing the things about it. And, of course, I kind of, through the peripheral vision, like, looked over at them, like, oh, I see you looking. Yeah. <laughs> And then finally, as they're looking, I turned closer to them. Now, I have a full visor on that they can't see my eyes because it's a reflective visor. But I look over at them, and I could see that our eyes still locked. Even though they didn't know they could see my eyes, I knew that we, our eyes locked. And then the person looked, and he goes. And I was like, yes. That is what we're waiting for. We want that validation. Like, hey, all the effort, investment, all the things that we did, we put into, here it is. Here it is. And I said, but I'm going to do them one better. We're at the front of the stoplight. So I'm going to, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'm just going to show them like they can see me right off into the twilight, you know? <laughs> they can go, wow, he's amazing. Yeah? Everybody does that? No? Oh. But I wanted to do that. I wanted to do that. So I'm getting ready, you know? Got my hands on the bars, ready to go, you know? And, uh, you know, you kind of, like, look over with the peripheral vision at the other stoplight for the opposite traffic, and you're seeing it, and it's still in green, and then no all of a sudden you notice it goes to yellow, and then you notice it's turning pink, and you're like, all right, pink means it's about to be red, which means I'm about to get a green, which means I'm out of here, right? So I'm getting ready, and uh, all of a sudden pink comes, and I'm like, oh, here it is. About to put my foot up, you know, because my feet are on the ground. We got to put my foot up on the bike, and it goes red, 
I get green, and then I'm going to give him kind of like this, see you later kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, green hits, and I pull, pull back on that throttle. We call it brap. Brap. Pulled back on that throttle. It made a huge noise. It went, I didn't go anywhere. And at the moment, you kind of like weird out. You're like, why isn't it going anywhere? And then your brain kind of messes with you because you're thinking, why, why, is it, why am I not moving? And then the car next to you is kind of like, uh, uh, this moment is not working out the way we all thought it would, or at least that's what I thought. Um, and eventually, they kind of like pulled off because I think they, people were going to start honking at them, so they started pulling off. And then I finally realized I wasn't in gear. I was in neutral. And I was like... <laughs> Then I finally, you know, got into gear, took off. And it was fun. It was fun. Many of us, you know, done those kind of things, right, and kicked it in gear and moved on, and I acted like I did it on purpose, you know? Like, yeah, did that on purpose. But I'll tell you what, after a few moments, got past them, after a few moments, I realized how foolish I really looked, you know? Like, you, you, you look foolish because you're kind of like, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. nothing happened, right? You look foolish. I had put so much prep into getting the bike to that point, whether it was an exhaust, whether it was, you know, adding um, um, the big wheel in the front, whether it was, you know, kind of putting in a performance a tune, whatever I did to that bike, I put a lot of prep into getting to a moment where I wanted that validation. And in that moment, I blew it. I blew it. And it kind of was interesting because as I was preparing this message, it was like God revealed to me how my experience at that stoplight is very relatable to being a Christian on mission. And that is this. You could prep all you want. But if you don't get into gear and engage, you go nowhere. You're all noise. No go. In that moment, I was thinking, I'm like, man, when I'm writing this down, I'm like, gosh, have I done that before even in ministry? Where I'm prepping up and I'm equipping, I'm taking classes, I'm doing the things that I believe are going to prepare me for that. And those things are not bad things. I want to be clear. They're not bad things to get engaged in those things. But when the moment of truth happens, when it's time to actually get in gear and engage in, in the opportunity to demonstrate the gospel... There were moments where I was like, ah, you know, I'm not ready to face that. I still got a little unforgiveness in my heart. I don't know if that's time yet. It's God's timing, right? I'm trying to align my timing with God's timing when it should be the other way around. Ah, but I'm still angry. I'm frustrated. I'm tired. I don't want to be a part of it. No, that's not for me. I don't believe it's my time. No, that's somebody else's responsibility or concern. All those things start to pop into play. Hey, I'm doing the right things, though. I'm here on Sundays. I'm in my life groups. I'm hanging out with the brethren. Why isn't that enough? Well, I'll tell you why. It's about engagement. Just like me at that stoplight, I invested a lot. But the opportunity is rich for us to see breakthrough, but we got to recognize that opportunity in the trials and the obstacles, and we have to get into gear, engage it, so that we can actually move on it. 
without engaging it, without getting into gear and engaging it, then we are simply making noise. Like I was at that stoplight. And I don't think any one of us wants to miss out and go nowhere and miss out on that opportunity and abundance that God has for us in breakthrough. But what does it mean to engage? And I'm going to be quick on this because I love pop culture references and movies. It helps me with illustration. I hope it helps you. Um, first thing I think about when I hear the word engage when it comes to pop culture references is Top Gun. And it's funny because Top Gun, the sequel, you know, just came out this week, right? Tom Cruise. Uh, how many of you guys have seen Top Gun? All right, good amount of you, right? For those of you that haven't, I'm going to ruin it for you. No. For the, the original, there's this character, Maverick, and he has all the talents and skill to be the top fighter jet pilot in all the world. But when he was faced with trials, all of a sudden, he didn't know how to engage. As a matter of fact, those were the terms that were used. Engage, Maverick, engage. No, no, it's not good. It's not good. And he would pull out. Thereby, in the simulation at that point, missing out on the opportunity to see the breakthrough in what he needed. Because in the trial, he was struggling with whatever that trial was. I don't want to give it away if you haven't seen it and you want to see it. He's struggling with that trial, and in the moment, he's flustered, frustrated, not confident anymore. He lost, like, his confidence, and he starts disengaging from, actually, the mission at hand. Of course, if he wants to get through that, he's going to have to learn to engage, and that's part of the storyline on, on figuring out how he can do that. Another example, and this is always for Tommy and the, Tommy Segobi in the audience, every time I'm up here, I tell him I'm going to put in a Matrix reference. Here it is, Tommy. <laughs> Matrix is another one of those movies where these people are red-pilled and they, be, they realize they're in this weird, strange world. And Neo, the main character played by Ke Keanu Reeves, he is responsible for trying to help other people free themselves from that prison of uh, just being a battery. And that's what the storyline's about. But these freed people are taught or told, hey, when you see the enemy coming, you do what I do, and that's run. Because you're, you, can't, you can't deal with them. And at the beginning, while he was working through his journey, Neo would follow everybody else's advice and run away from the enemy. Part of the story is he has to figure out how to break through on that. Okay? And, and engagement is the theme of which they break through, is when they actually engage in the activity. So I want to bring this to Scripture. There you go, Tommy. Check it off. Right? Uh, I want to bring it to scripture because I think this is important here, is there is, uh, the word engage is actually in the scriptures. There's eight occurrences of it, and it's the word in uh, Greek, prostami. And what it literally means is pre-standing. Another way to say it is to stand before. Think about that. To stand before. If you have something right here, and it's an issue, an obstacle or whatever, and you say, nah, I'm not going to face that, and you're walking the other way, it's going to be hard to engage that and get past it if you need to go that way. Some people try. They're like, hey, I'm going to find another route, maybe through this thing. Maybe it's, I'm just going to not forgive. I'm going to stay hardened. Or maybe it's like, maybe addiction might help me, you know, this way, because then I can just wor not worry about what the actual issue is right here. But to actually see breakthrough, you got to engage. you got to stand before the enemy that's before you. That's what engage means. 
And that's the word that's used in there. It's called prostami, and it means, again, to pre-stand or stand before. One who engages with their enemy is, in essence, standing before their enemy on battlefield. There's eight occurrences of it. Another way it's defined in the Greek is to perform, to care for, to give attention to. I like this one, to profess honest occupations. Think about that. As a minister, as a Christian minister, are we professing honest occupations if we're not engaging in the very thing that we're called into? Okay? There's eight occurrences of the use of, uh, of, of prostamy. It's mostly in the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And one that we used as a theme for our gathering out in Texas was uh, found in Titus 3.14, and I'm going to use the NASB uh, uh, translation for this because it uses the word engaged specifically. It says in Titus 3.14, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unproductive. Engage. They need to, in, in other translations it says, be devoted to. Be devoted to. Stepping into pressing into those things that need engagement. In this language, in this passage, it says to engage in good deeds, actually, actually operating in activity that's going to allow the spirit to move through and transform whatever's happening in that moment. We have to engage. It doesn't, we have to be a part of the engagement process to make that happen. There seems to be in these pastoral epistles a... Uh, overarching theme of the, of the idea of engagement. In the first epistle, uh, Timothy chapter 6, Paul shares counsel with Timothy uh, as he's dealing with his ministry in Ephesus. And in one section, he personally charges Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, right? Uh, but he also shares a final word on how to deal with uh, the wealthy. And I think it's a great application here because I think that's one of the biggest challenges for us here in the United States with us engaging effectively in our ministry. We're wealthy. I know it sounds crazy, but we're wealthy because here's the truth. It's like, <laughs> if you're here, you woke up this morning and you're here and you drove a car or was a part of a ride to get here, you might have had a Starbucks before you came or some other gourmet coffee, you're probably more well-off than most of the world. We're rich. We're wealthy, all right? We could deal with that. So this is what it says in uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 21. Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or arrogantly superior or disdainful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for their future, so that they may take hold of which is truly life. Then he finishes like this. Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called, quote-unquote, knowledge. For by professing it, that knowledge, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. You see, Paul saw what Timothy was dealing with in Ephesus with the rich. It was... There was a challenge with the early church with their focus on, or access, I should say even more so, their access on resources, whether it was monetary resources, other resources, time, food, 
whatever it is, they were well off compared to others in the same way we are. I mean, in the motorcycle ministry, if we got a Harley-Davidson, we're pretty well off, you know? It's not an easy bike to invest in. The word there for rich is plusios, and it means abundant, abounding in resources. And that's where we are. We are, as, as a, um, American Christians, I think, for the most part, we, that's one of our biggest deals, is we have access to so much that maybe we have choices to too much, and therefore we make choices that sometimes aren't the best choice to make when we're trying to see breakthrough in what God's doing in us and through us. So what does Paul say and tell Timothy on how to address avoiding the characteristics? Because here's the deal. Fast Eddie, I think when he saw the troubles coming, he realized, man, this is hot. I got AC at home in my house. I got enough money to get gas back home. I'll be fine. They'll continue their mission. It's all good. He had access. If he didn't, if he didn't have that money and those resources, he's probably going to be like, well, I got to keep going or I got to just stop here. But he is thinking about, because we have access to these riches, that maybe I can just go and get back to doing what I was doing before and not have to stress or worry about this journey. That's, I think a lot of us come into the same challenge, right? Well, I have enough time to do that tomorrow. I'll take care of it tomorrow. I have enough uh, uh, resources to, you know, invest in this for now and still do the right investments for the kingdom. I don't have to, uh, you know, juggle that choice. I have enough. But then, of course, even though we have enough, we make choices where maybe we're not actually investing those things the way we should. So what does Timothy say in verse 18 there um, that we can do to ensure that we're avoiding, in essence, these trappings that come with that kind of wealth and focus? He says, do good works. The question is, and that's to all of you out here, do you feel like you are engaged in good works for your ministry? It's an honest question. Do you feel like you are doing things for your ministry, his ministry, that are beyond getting fed here at, on Sundays and, and, and in life group, are you doing things to see transformation in a community that is lost? It's a big question. It's a question that I gotta ask myself every day. It's a question that we should all be asking together. We gotta be generous. Not all of us have a lot, but we have what we have and we have to be generous. It says in verse 18, to contribute to the needs of the saints. I mean, this is a reference from Romans uh, 12, 13, to be generous is like contributing to the needs of the saints, showing hospitality. I like what it says in the New uh, Living Translation. It said, when God's people are in need, for the Romans 12, 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Are we? Do we pass up that opportunity if it comes before us? Are our eyes open to that opportunity? Are we recognizing in the moment that God may be calling us individually to step into that option or the opportunity? Are we doing that? Verse 18 also says, ready to share. The Greek word there is koinonikos. It means to be social, sociable, ready and apt to form and maintain communion and fellowship. Are you ready to share? Are you ready to specifically share the hope that you have in Jesus Christ with somebody that doesn't know him? Have you prepared yourself to when that option comes and something is before you? Are you engaging that and saying, hey, it looks like you could use some Jesus right now. Are we stepping into that? That's a question that I have to ask myself all the time. And it's a question that we should all be asking. 
So what? Why is it important to get engaged? Those are ways that we can engage, but why is it important to engage? Paul also shares the value of, of doing these things. One of it, in verse 9, says, it's building your foundation for your future. This is not about the others. This is not about who you're serving or ministering to. It's about you. That's not a selfish thing. God is actually saying, by you engaging and doing these things, you are building a foundation for your future that cannot be corrupted or stolen, as we would look at um, storing up our treasures in heaven found in Matthew 6. You are building a future. Think about it. If you are struggling to see God's goodness in your life, but you're not engaging, guess what? You're probably not seeing God's goodness in your life. If you see and engage and you see God's goodness happening, guess what? You start to recognize, man, I have boldness and confidence in knowing that he's done it before and he's going to do it again. And therefore, as I press more into engaging in that, I see more of that boldness and confidence in me laying the foundation so that when I step out again, it ain't going to be a problem. I ain't going to be shaken. Verse 19 also says, so you can experience true life in Jesus. How many of us, of course, we're all saved. If we've given our life to Jesus Christ, we're all saved. But how many of us are experiencing the abundance that comes with the life in Jesus? If you're struggling right now saying, man, my life is just, it's a, it's a, it's a real mess. It's really struggling. I don't even know. And you're, you, you, the, the, the fruit you produce is, is stinky. If it's, it's fruit that's not fruit of the Spirit, you got to be questioning, well, man, am I really experiencing the promise that I have in Jesus Christ? If I'm experiencing these things all the time? And maybe that's somewhere where we need to reevaluate in ourselves. What's happening? And what can we do to get on the right path so that we can start to experience that true abundance that comes with Jesus Christ? To engage means we've got to share our hope with others. Just like it says in 1 Peter 3.15, that we would contribute to seeing lives transformed. we got to be a part of that. It's not enough to sit down on a Sunday and hear a good word and be like, Bridget, amen. We need to see that in action because that's what's going to transform the world. By us actually engaging individually. The laborers, commissioned. With the Lord of the harvest, the laborers, that's us, if, you, if you're concerned. We are the laborers. Lastly, don't think for one second that the enemy is not going to just sit back and say, oh, he's starting to get it. He's starting to figure it out. Good for him. Yeah? No, the enemy is going to be like, nah, I've seen this before. When those people figure out what God's abundant life is, my work is, is thwarted. So I'm going to do everything humanly possible, devilishly possible actually, to stop it. And I'm going to create havoc. you got to guard yourself, it says in Timothy, uh, six, uh, 1 Timothy 6.20. From the babble and contradictions which we call knowledge. Lies so clever they sound like truth. Be careful. Because it's easy to get caught up in the things of this world where we're starting to battle, in, battle on the minors instead of focusing on the majors. Keep the main thing the main thing, which is seeing lives transformed so that they too can embrace the goodness that God has instead of embracing the evil that the devil offers. Too many things are happening in this world where evil is leading the way, and then we get, we get hurt by it, and we offer up our thoughts and prayers, and that's great. 
That is, that is responsible and it's, re, it's required of us as, as an a interceding body. But we can also engage these people so that, they don't, that in their hurts, in their troubles, they don't actually get to the point where evil actually consumes them. The question is, are we doing that in our influence, our sphere of influence? Our job is to be commissioned to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others so they can know the abundant life, so that they aren't captive of evil and instead are delivered from it. Don't get swerved, it says in 21. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, looking to devour, looking every day to cause a problem, to rob you of the power and authority that comes with you in your faith in Jesus Christ. Too often we get caught up in these things that that aren't even remotely valuable and we're stripped from it and it bothers us so much that we lose sight of what we're really there for. Don't get swerved from it. Don't be deceived. Keep your eye on the prize, which is what are we gonna do for the people today? What are we going to do for those that don't know him? What are we doing to engage in those issues? What am I doing where I'm still struggling with unforgiveness over here or anxiety on this thing? How am I engaging that so that I'm not just sitting on the sideline for it? Lastly, in verse 21, it says, know that grace follows you. You ever take, so for the bikers out here or anyone, or a car for that matter, you, t- you ever take a, a wrong turn, like when you're driving or riding? You take a wrong turn? We all have, right? Now GPS, we take wrong turns all the time. Um, but how many of us say, oh, I took a wrong turn. I'm going to take the keys out of the ignition. I'm just going to sit here, give up. No, none of us do that. We get back on track and we finish the journey. So the question is, when we start to, because we're all going to catch it. There's going to be moments where we're going to feel less than heavenly. We're going to feel like, man, I really missed the boat on that one. I, I need to take a step back. I really need to get my, step, my head in order. But the problem is that they never get back. The, the thing that we need to know is grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient for us. We step into that with his grace. He's going to see us through in that. Okay? If you happen to be off course in your engagement, don't bail. In the biker world... When we get a curve coming around the corner, we don't peel off and forget the curve. We lean into that piece and we pull on the throttle with power as we leave it. In the same way, we have to actually, when, we get, when life throws us a curve, we got to lean into it knowing that something's happening and see how God's going to break through in that. Okay? Real quick story and then we're going to close here. That guy, Marty Edwards, who started Black Sheep so many years ago, I might have shared the story before. I'm going to share it again real quickly. The reason why he started the whole thing, he was a pastor for the uh, Lambs Fellowship uh, out in Marietta many moons ago here. And he, got, he bought a motorcycle and he was excited about it. He had to go get a, a new tire put on it. But he, he didn't have like a towing thing to do it. So what the, the dealership does is they bring, out a, they bring out a porter and a, and a flatbed truck and they'll bring it for you. So he got his bike, mounted up the porter came, he put his bike on the truck and he sat in the uh, cab of the truck with um, the porter, the individual coming from the dealership. Now, this kid was ragtag, a little rough up around the edges, and, and Marty was a pastor. And Marty was thinking, man, I, I bet he has some troubles. I should engage him on his eternity. But he was nervous. He didn't know how this kid would react. He didn't know if this kid was going to be like, hey, don't come, with me, come at me with that stuff. And he's in this small cab with him, and he didn't know what was going to go on. So he didn't. He decided not to. He goes, you know what? I'll do, when I have to get a service again, I'll do it again. And then this time I'll build a relationship with them, and then we'll have that opportunity. 
Problem was, a week later, that porter died. He was in a, uh, a fatal motorcycle accident. And it was crushing. And, and, and Marty, in his mind, realized, like, man, that hurts. I had an opportunity. I missed it. The good news is, just like it says here, he recognized that God's grace was sufficient for him and that there's still opportunity moving forward to engage. So what did Marty do? Marty went to the dealership and he said, hey, owner of the dealership, I can see your, your staff are hurting. They're crying. They're, they're struggling right now. What can I do? And he goes, pastor, you can do whatever you want. And so the pastor started going around and just kind of ministering to people, letting them know that there's a future and a hope, sharing all these kinds of things, right? And all of a sudden, black sheep was formed. Something that started right here in Temecula with one person, because he chose to engage, even after a, a real serious issue, he chose to engage in it. God built something that is now 1,000 membership wide in 38 states and multiple countries. Because that's what God wanted to do. But we are a part of that solution by stepping in and engaging in that activity. So I thank God for Marty and what he did because Black Sheep has transformed my life too. And I'm sure it's transformed some of the people in this room. I know uh, Wayne back there. There's things about that ministry that has done so much. But it was all because Marty decided to hear what God was doing and engage in it, even though it was a tough time right before that with losing the person. Want to remember Fast Eddie right at the beginning of this this, uh, entire session here? He was questioning whether or not he wanted to be there in the first place. Well, he decided to stick around. He wasn't happy about it, but he decided to stick around. The group would have, and, and the one thing that I think he really had trouble with was every time we broke down, we also used it as an opportunity to minister to somebody. So somebody's there, we start praying for him. Boom. And you're doing it all over the place. And I think at some point, while he's a Christian, he loves that. He, he also is like, man, I'm, I'm struggling in the heat, and I want to get to some good AC, get some fresh clothes on. But that kept happening, right? But he kept going. He hung around. And there was a gentleman there that came from the Idaho group. Now, this guy, Danny, he wasn't a black sheep. He had been spending time with the Harley owners group in Idaho with the black sheep for three years. And the black sheep had tried to minister to him before, and he had made it very clear that he was not, religion was not his thing, and he was not interested in moving in that. But for the gathering, because we were heading out to Texas, he thought, hey, I'll join you guys on the ride to Texas. Then I'm going to go out on some rides while you guys are at the conference, and then I'll ride back with you guys on the way home. Now, poor Danny had to go through the entire experience with them where bikes are failing and all these struggles are happening, and he has to sit through the fact that all these ministers are ministering to people, praying for them, even though all these challenges are occurring. He had to deal with all that. But something happened. Because Danny started to get connected with Fast Eddie. And Fast Eddie started talking to him about his eternal life and what, what does it mean and what does he know about that. And, and Danny at first like, hey, man, I'm, they've already tried. It's not worth it, you know. But over the couple days of investing in him, over the couple days of seeing what the black sheep were about, over the couple days of those people lining up and showing the light that Jesus is in them, Danny decided to give his life to Christ. Let me see a a picture of that. He's, He's hidden in there. You can't see it. Now, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. I know Eddie felt this way, but I feel this way. If all those things happened, if all those struggles occurred, if all the challenges with the weather or getting stabbed or all those things needed to happen so that we can get to that one person knowing the Lord, it was well worth it. We needed to keep engaging. And Fast Eddie, he recognized it afterwards. He recognized it. He was like, man, what what an opportunity I would have missed 
if I decided to go home. What an opportunity that, I, that he was instrumental in because he was one of the ones pressing Danny in a good way. But pressing Danny like, Danny, man, this is important. You could see what's happening here. If I said he went home, maybe those interactions wouldn't have occurred. Maybe Danny would have said, hey, man, I didn't, I'm not feeling it. And he goes out on his rides, and it's just status quo. Of course, God will keep chasing him. But that moment wasn't just for Danny. It was for Eddie. So that he can build up his firm foundation. So he would know moving forward that when trials come, he will remember that the enemy rolls around like a, I mean, prowls around like a roaring lion, hoping to devour. Because on the other side of that threat is victory. All right? So what is the call to action for us today? Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you know, it says that we need to be a light. Let our light shine before others and give glory to the Father. That's cool because, early, you know, in John 18, or John 8, 12, Jesus actually says he is the light of the world. Now he's telling us we are the light of the world. That's a cool feeling. There's no other creature in this world that gets to be the light of the world like we do. So we have to share it. We have to be that light. So the question and the challenge I have for you today is this. How will you engage in your ministry that God has called you upon and let your light shine so that he can be glorified? How will you see the right engagement so that you can press in to what God has for you on the other side of the obstacle? And if you leave this place today, how the next time will you have your eyes ready to know that when troubles come, to take heart because Jesus has overcome those troubles in this world? Amen. Dance a new dance like day.